This is Critical Nonsense, our high lowbrow show about culture, science, and tech. This week, Joey asks me about optimism. Got any? Got it? Good. Woo! This... <laughs> this is what a Joey sounds like without song. And this is what an executive producer and Chanteuse Jess Vander sounds like. Hi, this is Jess. You describe this as me sometimes, but I do not know what it means. It just means singer, uh, but it sounds fancier. It sounds like chartreuse. And in my mind, you're a shart, calling a shart, it a chartreuse a, chanteuse. A chartreuse chanteuse. Yeah. Well, well, Jessica, we've had a lot of technical difficulties getting here today. Thanks, internet. So forget your housekeeping. Not you, the greater you. No one, everyone's house is dirty. It is spring. We can get to it later. Um, <laughs> I. I wanted to talk to you about uh, something I've been thinking a lot about recently. And I think with, you know, not with divulging the conversation, but you, you brought something up to me recently about me being uh, a very optimistic person. And, you know, that, that that sort of perspective seems to influence you know, the way that I anticipate certain things or, or what can be done in certain amounts of time and things like that. Um, and so it, it's been on my head a lot. And, you know, just sort of background processing, trying to, you know, do the perpetual self-reflection thing and grow and, and all of that. And there's been a lot of conversation, I would say, maybe... Not new conversation, but I would say an increased focus on teen mental health and um, sort of the broader cultural mental health state um, in the past few months. I think there have been some conversations about, you know, people still not necessarily having... um, sort of in their well-being and in their their mental wellness recovered from the pandemic the the teen mental health data is sort of pointing towards smartphones and these other things being sort of major detractors of overall mental well-being um particularly in you know what would be the younger side of gen z and and now gen alpha um and and those two ideas are are sort of bumping into each other in some of the studies around overall mental health there you know are some things pointing beyond just teens to 2015 uh sort of being a big moment where there seemed to be uh increased decline in uh overall mental well-being pessimism there've been some recent reports about uh people's overall perspective on the future um, and being extremely pessimistic about the future, despite 
you know, consistent gains and, and sort of positive data that seems to emerge, whether that's about uh, economics, whether that is about, you know, declines in uh, things like global hunger or, you know, improvements in, um, you know, climate change technology, whatever it is, it seems like we're constantly confronting this, this pessimism. And I don't really, I don't know what to do with it. I've just been, you know, going through these questions of, can we become more optimistic? What are the benefits of optimism? You know, are there countervailing benefits to pessimism? Like, what should we be doing with this? And so my question for you is, how should we feel about optimism? Well, maybe it starts with the trade-offs of having an optimistic outlook, right? Like, it sounds, you know, I, I think part of the question is, is there anything that optimism gets us? Is there anything that it detracts from? Is it, Are there things that you might think that it is good for, but is actually kind of neutral? Like the first thing that I think about is having a having an optimistic outlook. Like to what extent is that related to your motivation to do stuff? Like if you are mm -hmm. optimistic, does that mean that you're more motivated? Or if you're pessimistic, does that mean you're more motivated to like, act on something or you, do you know what I mean? Like I, I'm th that, that's a yeah. question. I feel like there's a lot of things that might lead into breaking apart how useful it is. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, in again, sort of cursory research, I'm, I, I haven't fully fallen down the rabbit hole necessarily yet. Um, I, I was curious just to see like how, you know, is this, genetically predisposed and in some of that research one it shows that there are um, genetic corollaries it seems in in some of the studies that are being done to optimism but as with most things that is sort of a combination of you know nature and nurture maybe you're more likely with genetics but there are environmental factors that can increase optimism like um you know, what I read was moderately structured early childhood. Um, but in, in doing some of that cursory research, there does seem to be connections to um, action like you were talking about, right? The, if you are optimistic, there's a tendency to presume a positive outcome or mm -hmm. the ability to accomplish something and so in turn there is a higher likelihood of taking an action right e even if even if your presumption is inaccurate for one reason or another the the idea that you think a positive outcome can be achieved results in in a higher likelihood of attempting to achieve whatever that thing is Right. Though I think you could equally be motivated by just this is important. And even if I'm not sure, like I should try. Um, but that's, I feel like it would make sense that 
in in that sense, it doesn't seem necessarily harmful to be optimistic. Um, I also wonder if like there's another piece about this that might be a matter of like selective optimism. Like, can you still be optimistic in some places, but not in others and still, you know, even if you don't universally identify as somebody optimistic, Mm -hmm. can you still wield it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, I, one, I think that's probably true, right? Um, you know, you could you could build an optimism over time based on demonstrated competency, maybe, right? That you are good at a particular thing, so you're more optimistic at the outcomes in a particular area just based on historical patterns, maybe, right? That you're good at basketball, so you have a, a belief that you will win, but maybe you're you're not as good at math. And so that that optimism is not necessarily like a global phenomena in your individual person as a, it, it is sort of, like you said, um, occasion selective versus, you know, the, this idea of potentially like, you know, I don't know that anyone is, and maybe I, I guess they probably some, small portion of people probably are sort of universally optimistic that encounter every situation as um, a a sort of in a positive light or with the view of, you know, having a positive outcome. In in one of the articles on genetics that I was reading, it referenced a Winston Churchill quote that said, um, an optimist sees an opportunity in every calamity. A pessimist sees a calamity in every opportunity. That is where that sort of like global idea exists. Like maybe even just like at some point do you cross over into like more than 50% of the occasions you encounter you're viewing through an optimistic lens versus the opposite, you know? Yeah. I also But do you feel like do you feel like there is uh, maybe you know all of this is anecdotal I think and and maybe a product of the media environment that we exist in but do you feel like there has been an increase in pessimism in recent years and or you know the the idea that encountering optimistic views is sort of met with not necessarily derision, but that optimistic perspectives on things can be sort of met with like a, or or, or sort of categorized as like Pollyanna-ish or, or like saccharine or naive. Yeah, I feel like I I know what you're talking about, right? Uh, the idea that how could you possibly be an optimist when uh, our world is, uh, boiling or like, uh, you know, there's just like, there are lots of things that are terrifying about the future and about the present. So it, I think, um, it makes a lot of sense why, um, there could be a perception that, you know, it would be naive or, um, or something to, 
to try to be hopeful in the wake of those things, almost as though it is sort of mutually exclusive to feel hopeful and, um, and fully internalize the, like the reality of the world. Like, I think that that probably is where that comes from is, is my guess, um, that you kind of have to choose like pragmatism or optimism. Um, but I don't think that necessarily means that you have to choose pessimism, right? Like, I think being like, I, I think that if, if that is indeed the, the, the origin behind maybe any sort of rejection of optimism, I think, um, that the, it's the myth that pragmatism and optimism have to come at odds with one another, where in Mm -hmm. reality, I think it's more like, can you just, you know, like, is it, is it still worth, maybe it's, maybe it's not even about pessimism. It's more about nihilism. Like, is there anything that you can do? about it or is it like nothing Mm -hmm. to be done um uh and i so i think that's one thing another thing is the um the idea of a healthy dose of pessimism as a kind of risk aversion right like i'm Mm -hmm. i'm i'm not so sure of the outcomes because potentially that is dangerous to be blindly optimistic, right? Like, uh, how do you, how do you still have that steady, firm clarity of the circumstances of the task at hand of the uphill battle and not swing too far into, oh, it can't be done or, oh, it for sure can be done. Like there, I don't know. (laughs) There has to be, I think like a healthy amount of each side. Yeah, I it it's it's interesting in in even in bringing up the sort of like the middle child syndrome of of pragmatism in, in this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is maybe yeah, in the way that we talk about things, we, you know, I think even potentially before sort of the broader polarization in culture, I think we tend to think about the edges and the extremes. And you talk about either pessimism or optimism and, you know, whether it's pragmatism or realism or or however people sort of talk about that middle ground of trying to assess things. I think, you know, the only, the potential pitfall, I suppose, is pragmatism or realism relies on your ability to assess a situation for risk right i I mean i think we are potentially like okay at assessing like gross risk or sort of you know high level potential negative outcomes that are possible or positive outcomes that are possible but you know as was talked about a lot during the course of the pandemic was, you know, we're, we're pretty bad at risk assessment and risk calculation, broadly speaking for any number of reasons, right? Like we're not, we're not particularly good at thinking probabilistically, even if, you know, or long uh, or long. Yeah. (laughs) 
And and often you're talking about complex systems in making any yeah. decision, even if you know in your family, at your work, uh, you know when you start to get to like your city level, your neighborhood level, yeah. state, country, global, like the number of factors, like the reality is you you just don't have the ability, like even the most powerful like computer modeling systems can't get enough data to make reliable predictions on those things. And so the optimistic view is just like, I don't know what's going to happen, but like aim for aim for the good thing. And if you don't get the good thing, you don't get the good thing. But the idea of simply like aiming in that direction feels like it is one that leaves you more likely to uh, achieve like a higher count of good things uh, in aggregate because you're simply aiming versus, you know, it's the whatever, the Wayne Gretzky, like you miss all the shots you don't take type of idea. Yeah, well, of course you would say that because you're an optimist. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like thinking, in my mind, like if you associate pessimism with risk aversion, with thinking defensively, thinking defensively also is valuable, especially like in my mind, especially in the face of real and perceptible risk and danger, like planning, mm -hmm. for, planning for the worst is also very useful. And I guess that's kind of what I, um, that's kind of what I was meaning in terms of motivation. Like I, even if there is a higher pervasiveness of pessimism right now, uh, whether it is perfectly calculated, I, I'm certain it isn't, but I am not certain that's necessarily a bad thing if it inspires action, like defensive action. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's interesting, to, right? Like, I think I'm, I'm someone who is also reasonably good at identifying and seeing problems, right? I, um, you know, sort of analyzing a situation and, and finding inefficiencies or things that aren't working but maybe i still hold that that like we can fix it right you know you know like oh so, like yeah well and that and then maybe that is the thing that i was trying to get after with this like selective optimism right like can you be pessimistic about the way the world is heading but optimistic about your own self-efficacy like I can do something about it though. Or like I best at least attempt, like I believe in myself, whether or not I believe in the, the goodness of other things or can't trust in other people, you know, I, the like different pockets of pessimism may still exist. Right. It, so, it, right. But it seems like that, you know, in some ways what you're talking about, like critical optimism, like it's not even pessimistic, right? Like, yeah that we will be met with failure, but it is right. A, a, a critical optimism of like looking for problems or things to fix, but also sort of us, you know, starting from some assumptive place that those problems can in fact be resolved. Yeah. I don't know. I think that makes sense. I mean, I like, the, I like critical optimism. I mean, it at least, right, like it says, like, it, it sort of removes that, like, Pollyanna-ish or, or naivete from the equation. 
right from associations of blind instead of it being blind optimism it's the opposite of that right like eyes wide open optimism (laughs) um for that sort of seeking searching action oriented type yeah approached the the one thing before we wrap in our accelerated episode because of technology the one thing that i did find that i thought was interesting was the connection of optimism and oxytocin in some of these genetic studies um which i found interesting in that you know coming back to this idea of like nature versus nurture and how these ideas can interplay potentially right like if there is sort of let's call it a collective on some population level decline in optimism what we also have seen is an increase in ideas that is sort of like being bashed over our heads from scientists and and media and things like that around the increase in loneliness right and mm-hmm. oxytocin you know even if if optimists have a a a connection optimism has a connection to some genes and those genes seem to be tied to oxytocin production there everyone has oxytocin right it plays a role in sort a, a big role in female hormone cycles um but it's also a bonding hormone and and so a, a decline in oxytocin yeah, it's from, called like the love hormone by some right yeah exactly right it it is released in in sort of bonding moments whether that is sort of platonic whether that is sexual whether that is uh maternal there it's heavily released during breastfeeding but the the idea of like if we are collectively lonelier we're bonding less we're seeing we're feeling disconnected then maybe there is in fact a sort of population level decline in oxytocin which would result in in sort of declines in in collective optimism even if it is not necessarily in those cases genetically predisposed and so that that flip right that idea of like where where do you find community and and do you have community and do you feel like you have connections maybe is a way to sort of spin your right there there's these ideas of like tribal leadership and things like that where you're getting to this level of like i am great to we are great and in in a lot of those we are great or life is great scenarios being the peak of that tribal leadership idea has to do with a lot of it ties to optimism and and that we are great is connected to sort of feeling part of a a community that can accomplish things and and you know that bonding of feeling connected to other people releasing oxytocin changing your optimism changing your orientation towards action like it's sort of you know not just it doesn't just like create an emphasis for us collectively like on a societal level to sort of reduce loneliness because that's bad and and makes people sad and and we want to get rid of it but also potentially like implicates our ability to take collective action as a result of the fact that we are not forming 
strong enough relationships in, in our everyday life. So what you're saying is to save the world, we need to high five and hug each other more. Yeah. High five, hug each other more. Like, you know, the, the, the idea that like solving the climate crisis could in some way be connected to like, you know, the ideas of like bowl, bowling alone, right? Like joining, <laughs> joining some like hobbyist community is, feels both absurd, but then also like makes it feel easier in, in some way. Like, oh, if we just make more friends, <laughs> like that, that we could also maybe solve like extremely seemingly disconnected problems through just like a broader like pervasive optimism that might result in us feeling more connected to the people in our lives hmm. well maybe the optimists among us need to start initiating some of those hugs because you know someone's gonna start it uh well Jess, do you have a wrap-up corner for us? Jess's optimism corner? Do you believe in life after love after love? No. I can feel something uh, going on in this podcast. So, so <laughs> yep. That's it. <laughs> Was that chartreuse enough for you? That was a that was a chartreuse chanteuse. I appreciate it. <laughs> Give someone a hug. You'll feel better. You might be more optimistic <laughs> and solve the world's problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hugs like, around the nice, world. That was nice, but it wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well. We did it. Critical Nonsense is a Sylvain production. Brought to you by... You got it! <laughs> As always, we'd like to thank executive producer and digital hug, Jess Vander. You're welcome. We'd also like to thank sound engineer and our sense of motivation, Alex Contel. We'd like to thank programming coordinator... And metaphorical high five, Les Jacobs. And thanks to our production crew and, uh, you know, the construction workers of a positive future, Sarah Gilbert and Norma Rich. And as always, thanks, Alan. Thanks. Uh, special thanks to the show Chimp Empire on Netflix, because I realized in you talking about uh, hugs and we, we had a talk recently about Steve Nash and his, they tracked for a season, his high fives, fist bumps, and butt pats. Mm -hmm. And I watched the show Chimp Empire after that. And the chimps that were on patrol or knew they were about to be going into like battle against uh, rival, rival clans were doing butt pats as they were like walking down this path. And I was like, are butt pats? Like genetic, <laughs> are, are they like evolutionarily derived? Like it was, I had seen this video about Steve Nash touch, touching his teammates and then just seeing 
chimps do butt pats as they're like getting ready to go into battle. I was like, it just made me think about butt pats so differently. Like I was like, are, are monkeys just like butt patters? Like what is happening? It was, it, it was a bizarre surreal moment, but it was a good show. So thanks to To them. be clear, while this episode may indicate we encourage people to hug and butt pat more, maybe make sure you're in an environment where everyone is consenting to such personal... Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't think we're, we're, don't we're advocating for... Don't butt strangers. Yeah, or even don't, loved ones if you we're don't not advocating for unconsenting butt pats, but yep. cool, or cool, cool. Just work butt pats. Cool. But if you're playing a sport and it, it seems to be allowed, it may be evolutionary. So, you know, uh, but fist, fist bumps, high fives, safe hugs, consent and butt pats, extreme consent. Actually, yeah, special things. Alternatively, which, you know, who knows? Some scientists, no one has said this, but, you know, I could imagine a world where some scientists have proven that uh, a perfect alternative to the butt pat is um, imagine that you're in um, a thumb war position. So your four uh, fingers with thumbs up are sort of clasped around another person's and then um you engage in what i just learned in recent years is a possible way to begin begin a thumb war where instead of just like go you your thumbs touch and have sort of like a a little a little kiss moment and they bow to each other and the thumbs bend and then then you start your your thumb war duel so you can also just press thumbs together that's also an option that I have now painted vividly can, in your mind. Can I also offer the ankle hug that Trevor and I have been doing as opposite side desk mates as just like a way of like quick under the desk in moments where you're just like need a little boost. We've just done an ankle hug and it's super bizarre, but it accomplishes that like quick boost of oxytocin. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. People need to be butt patting and ankle hugging and thumb kicking more <laughs> often. <laughs> if you if you come up with new invented ways to uh, acceptably to accomplish boost. this oxytocin oxytocin dosing uh, in work safe ways, like please share them with us because we are now curious. Because um, now we'll, just, we'll try them. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Love you, mean it. Bye. Wishing you good hugs. Bye.